Welcome to the Score and I podcast, where we bring you the best Irish league discussion each week. To find out about future shows, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at the Score and I. Now it's time for this week's program. This is Carl the Jackal Frampton. Hi, this is David Healy. Hello, this is Stephen Ferris. Hi, I'm Bethany Ferris. Hi, this is Joey Barton. I'm Jonas Gutierrez. Hi, this is Harry Kuehl. And you're listening to the Score. The Score with Michael Clark. And welcome along to The Score here, live on Lisburn's 98FM and Bangor FM with me, Michael Clark, Me, Colin Hopkins. And our special studio guest today, the new Ards manager, John Bailey. John, welcome to the studio. Thanks for having us. Great to have you here today. Yes, any questions for the new man in the hot seat at Ards? Fire them our way, The Score and I on Facebook and Twitter for you to be able to do that. Today, uh, coming up on the programme as well, we'll be looking at uh, the incredible title race in the Danske Bank Premiership once more because I've said it what are the odds that every weekend we could have a different table topper all the way through to the new year it just could be like that it's an incredible season and uh, affairs in the championship obviously uh, very important too we'll be discussing those here on the programme and in the second hour we'll be talking futsal yes after the home nations uh, all competed against each other recently we'll be uh, talking to two of Northern Ireland's members from that squad who will also be hoping to be selected for the upcoming game against Gibraltar next month. Will they be in contention? Will they keep in their manager's good books? Let's find out together right here on The Score. With Michael Clark. Yes, welcome along once again. Uh, it's Friday. Thank goodness. It, it always ah, sigh of relief. So many people right now, as you're listening, will be thinking, one week left to work, one week left to work. Are you on the countdown as well? The amount of people who are on a wind down already. It's brilliant. Have you tried to call any sort of service lately for help? And you just find that people aren't as quick to get back to your emails, get back to your phone calls. It's already started. Uh, it's incredible. Um, before we go any further in the programme today, I want to express uh, once again um, my deepest sympathies to the family, friends, teammates, past and present of Jerry Thompson, who sadly passed away earlier this week. Uh, the news has profoundly rocked the football family and um, the tributes online have been a testament to how close this family is in the Irish League and indeed also a reflection of how popular a young man Jerry Thompson was. He'll be laid to rest tomorrow, and our thoughts are with everybody at this very sad time. Now, we get back to what we do. We, we talk football. Uh, John, it's it's great to have you in here. Um, I'm sure you're excited to be in the hot seat proper. You, you've been on the coaching staff before. You, you've been at Ards a long time as a player. Now, you're the supremo. Yeah, very much so. Um to be honest, everything's happened really, really quickly over the last maybe seven days. Um, I can't deny the fact that it's a job that I've always had ambitions of having. Um, I've worked extremely hard over the last seven, eight, nine years at my own coaching ability. Um, so yeah, looking forward to the challenge ahead. And I, I think for listeners and, and people of different ages, they might associate you with different parts of your career. Um, some people will go, here, here's the man that spearheaded County Down for a great period of time in Super Cup and I, including Cup Finals and, and nurturing some of the best young players. Other people will think of your time with Linfield and other people will look back in your playing career. I mean, y- you've had uh, some career up until now, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I think it's important to say some people say, who is he <laughs> as well? Um, Not us. You know, uh, yeah, I've, I've been very, very lucky in terms of my own career as such in terms of coaching in terms of playing um, I've had to 
depend on people in the past giving me opportunities um, to play, um, to coach, to manage. Um, and now I'm very, very grateful to ours giving me the opportunity to manage at this level. So uh, it's exciting. Was there any trepidation in, in stepping forward and throwing your name into the hat? Because this wasn't like uh, the white smoke going up or anything. You went through the old interview process like anybody. Yeah, um, it was a difficult one because there was no formal um, application or no formal advertisement. So, you know, you send a, a message to say, look, formally, I would like to be interested. Are you to make you aware that I'm interested in the job? And then you don't hear anything for a few days. Um, then you get called for an interview very, very short notice. Um, and it was funny because last Saturday morning, the interview was on the Wednesday, and on the Saturday morning, you're, do you go to Portadown and watch the game? Do you have to get somebody else lined up? Because, as I say, you had no inside, not, you'd know nothing. Um, and thankfully, I did go to Portadown and watch the game <laughs> um, because I got the call on Saturday evening. Wow. I have to speak from a sort of a secretary's defensive viewpoint here. When a, when a, a job position becomes available, you invariably get, I don't know how many emails coming through, and you do have to literally take a few days and sift through them all to balance to sort of see who you actually want to interview. Because if you interviewed everybody who applied, you'd be there for weeks to balance the time with well, I think uh, ours maybe did, they did state from the outset that um, they were going to take their time. Um, Very sensible. Uh, and to be fair, uh, the guys who interviewed me, what they said was they were taking their time over the decision and, and they were true to their words. So, you know, it's good to have that trust even at yeah. an early stage. Very much so. And you know what the Irish League is like. You probably, John, are hearing all the rumours of who supposedly is up against you and all the rest of it. And you've played it a hundred different ways in your head before that call comes through. Yeah, you, you hear all names bandied about and somebody says that such and such is applied, but then they wouldn't go there because it's championship. Somebody will be looking more money and. I don't even know who else was interviewed. I didn't, I didn't ask. Um, it's not my concern. It's you know, I've been for interviews before and I haven't been successful. Um, so you know, it's part of the process, and you you got to put your name in the hat and see where where it goes. Yeah, I think we can all probably relate to that in some way or another. Um, what was the what was the vision you you laid out? Because I'm sure that's one of the questions they probably said. Well, you know what we've got. Where can you take us? I think it's an identity with the club. Um, I went and watched the game against Knockbreda, and the first thing that struck me was the crowd. Um, the crowd was probably when I, when I put it to the directors they did say it was probably the lowest crowd they've had in many many years um, but it wasn't only the crowd it was the doom and gloom about the place and you know it's, it's basically to get back into sync with probably the the fan base um, I know that ours have suffered from many years in terms of their fan base in terms of playing in Bangor and playing away from Newton Ards um, it's to try and get in touch with that fan base again and get, get a smile back in their faces um, I, I think it was maybe around October. It was lashing. Um I was shopping with the wife, and um, I was looking for a game in the afternoon. I was either going stand at an amateur league game and get soaked, or else go to Bangor and watch ours play. They were playing Queens, and I went and watched the game and just sat on my own. And there was a few boys. I don't know who they were. They were obviously our supporters, and they spent seventy minutes of the ninety minutes just moaning and groaning about the previous two three weeks about how bad it was. I don't think they watched the game. And I actually thought ours actually played quite well that day. And uh, but you know, it's to try and get supporters to come back to the games and look forward to the games rather than that doom and gloom that I experienced that day. Um, so, and that that's always a big thing, and that's it's so important for every club to feel that support because uh, you know it can get trotted as a cliche, but the twelfth man is real. Uh, you know, if you are going through a lack of confidence as a player, the last thing you need is someone reminding you how bad things are. Yeah, you know, and. and from previously playing at Ards, the fans can be cruel, um, but that's the same at any club. Um, but I also know that from building a good rapport and from playing there for many years, um, I had very, very little issues with supporters in, in my playing days. Um, and I think they are, they, they do warm to players that give their all for the club. Um, and that's one of the things that I'll be demanding from the players is, you know, give your all while you're here. Give your all while you're playing football for Arts Football Club. And really, that's all you can ask. As things stand, uh, halfway point in the table, I guess, you look at it, you're sixth place in the League of 12. Um, there's 21 points to try and catch Porter down. Is that unrealistic to, to look at promotion this season? I think so, yeah. You know, you have to be blunt about certain things um, 21 points is a, a massive massive difference of 7 games and that we need to win 7 games and Portland also need to lose 7 games so that's a massive turnaround um, the, the one thing I would cling on to is what we achieved at Carrick last year 
was probably phenomenal. Um, I don't know the statistics around it, but I know that we didn't qualify for the top six until about maybe game 31. Um, and to go from maybe we, where we were in October last year, um, anything's, anything's achievable. But as I say, we need a massive amount of luck both ways. You know, We're dependent on us winning games. We're also dependent on others dropping points. This, uh, for your connection to the club, I mean, there's obviously an emotional link there. It must be a very proud thing to be able to say, having been at the club for so long in different guises, to now be in the position you're in, even with the, the challenge ahead. Um, do, do you get to sort of enjoy that? Here, look at how far I've come, or are you very mindful of, of you know, how difficult the job will be as well? I think you have to be very grounded about it. You know, yeah, I'm very proud. Um some will argue, is it my local club? You know, I, I played many years at Bangor as well. Um, yeah, ours is my local club. It, it's the closest town to me. Um, it's something I've always wanted to do. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're going to be excited and you're going to be anticipating good times and, and wanting to, to make your mark. But for, in this game, you have to be very, very grounded. What has uh, been said about... January transfers, things like that, because new managers inevitably, um, staff change. That's par for the course. Players can change too. Yeah, players can change, and, and the players that are at the club will know January transfer windows looming, and um, they'll know that for their own benefits and maybe for their own concern. Um, it's a difficult one because it's funny. I spoke this morning to someone, and uh, we talked, and you really need to see a game. Um, you know, you need to have players in that environment, and you don't want to be too critical. Um, the players understand that, that we've possibly underachieved up until now. Um, we've lost the last two games, um, so you know a lot of people from the outside will probably say, "Well, John will go in and maybe watch from the afar tomorrow to assess players." But I don't think we can afford to do that. Uh, we need to go and try and win a football match tomorrow, um, and I've impressed that in the players this week. So January will be January. Um, it's very much down to the players for me. They have maybe three games between now and the window opens. Um, if we win 4-0, 4-0, 4-0, I have very little activity to do. However, if results don't go our way, you know, that may dictate what I need to do in January. So the marker's been set. Um, I'm always interested in that phase because it's a very difficult thing. I would have thought as a manager coming in and going, right, I have a, have a very short period of time to make big decisions on players' careers because is it, you know, the old form as temporary class as permanent thing you're going is he having two or three bad games or is this just a player I don't need um, is it going to be the case that if things don't work out you're going to happily make several rotations to your squad over the next couple of weeks or have you got an idea of a general 11 that you want to work with the squad the, the squad isn't bad in terms of quality you know the, the squad of players that are, that are at odds is, is a good quality um, they've experience um, and there's no doubt they can play I've seen that at training last night um, when they move the ball and move it sharp, they'll have no problems. Um, so w- why it hasn't been happening on a Saturday, that's probably up to me to find out um, and try and get that out on a Saturday. Um, January is a funny month for any manager. You know, you make six changes and it's the end of the season before they even bet in. So, you know, in a perfect world, you're only really looking to add and be one or two in January. Um, but unfortunately, this isn't a perfect world. And, you know, I'll have to react. The one thing we do need is we, we need a few extra bodies. I think we've a squad of 16 players and um, 16 players isn't enough to get you through a season. So when you get a job, right, because we, we talked about club secretaries and as soon as a, you know, a manager departs, their phones, their emails start going of, here, I'm, a, I'm available, should you need it? When you get announced and it's all over every media platform you can imagine, John's the man, is it all of a sudden a case of some fella that you coached two or three years ago going, John, congratulations, uh, any chance? Very much so. Um, I wouldn't say it's as blunt as any chance, but <laughs> you, you do get a few people coming out of the woodwork that you've coached in the past, and you know, well done, you deserve it, and uh, and everything else. Um, you know, uh, you don't need to be a genius to work out why they're. Ta- you know, you're always going to get that because you've been fortunate enough to maybe work with them players in the past, um, in a maybe more professional environment. Um, so they have that bond, and they'll always have that bond with you. Um, and the only way that bond will break is if you take them somewhere else and it just doesn't work for them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, th- th- there'll be plenty of options and there- there's plenty of people um, in the round football that are proactive in moving themselves. Um, and-, and that's unfortunate because as say it'll happen to me as a manager and w- when you don't know what your players are doing, that's that's problems. 
you've been very quick uh, appointing the assistant manager this week. You've brought in Sammy McFadden, who I know from his distillery days, and Sammy's a very determined and very gifted coach. Sammy's a good friend of mine. Um, I think that's important. Um, I trust Sammy and what he does. I know he's a good coach. Um, he's a local. I'm going to say he's a local guy. He's from Dundonald. So Dundonald, the ours isn't uh, very far. Um, I know he's very professional in his approach. Mm. Um, so he, he's got the same sort of DNA as myself. And I think that's important. You know, it's important he's in the same wavelength as me, same page. Um, if we're going to move ours to another level, um, I need my backroom team in the same elk as myself. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad to have Sammy on board and I look forward to it now. Very much a man to call a spade a spade. Very much so, <laughs> but like myself. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's one of them things that I probably grew up, um, whether it be in work or whether it be football, I think it's important. and It's, it's probably important that the players react the right way. Um, everything you say off the cuff at times may be with a little bit of anger or frustration. Um, there's nothing personal. You know, it's it's things that maybe come Monday. I'd maybe reflect and went maybe as we get over the top at times. Um, but if a player plays poorly, um, they need to understand they play poorly, and we need to get to the bottom of why they're playing poorly, and what can we do to help them? Um, there's no point in telling players you were brilliant. We've lost four 0 no. Um So it's important we're honest with players. It's important the players are honest with us. I know Sammy will be honest um, in his assessment, so that's why he's on board. And that's such an interesting point as well and comes into your experience working with young players too because that's been a bigger conversation in football generally, hasn't it? You know, the changing approach to management and managing personalities, egos, etc. The the old way, the blood and thunder might not get you as far as it used to. No. Um, someone said last year at the Super Cup that I'll either make them or break them. And, it, and it's strange because I kind of went, I heard it in the background and I went, what does he, what does he mean? I'll make or break. And when I sat down with him that night, I, I understood. He says, you're so demanding that if the kids respond, you'll make them a better player. But if they're the ones that kind of can't cope with it, mm. they'll drift. And that's something I've had to kind of take on board and maybe adjust my own styles. Um, because you hate for that moment that... We Jimmy just hasn't responded to you, so he kind of fades away and maybe loses his confidence and loses his will to play football. Um, so yeah, there, there's certain players you're gonna have to get your arm around, and other players maybe need to rock it. Um, so, so you have to to gauge that. Just looking at some of the tweets I'm getting, uh, Johnny Alexander says, uh, "Do you plan on signing a form again after your majestic performance at left back against the Whites a few seasons ago?" And <laughs> I nearly knew the fibrillator that day. Um, <laughs> it's funny because. I was doing a wee bit of training and around that time I, was, I think I was 39 and I'd asked to train um, and they said to me when are you going to form and I said look I'll go on a form but only in emergencies if they're thinking there was never going to be an emergency so two weeks later he phones me and goes you're on the bench and I says that's grand there's five subs there'll be no, no chance so I think it was uh, I can't remember who it was the left back went down hurt and he just looked at me and went John get warmed up uh, we were 3-0 up I was against the Stillery we're three 0 up, and um, I can't remember the guy. But I come on within ten seconds. There was a throw in right in front of me, and the boy went by me like Lynn for Christie. <laughs> and I actually just turned and went, "You know what?" The first thing that came into my head was be seventy minutes to go. I says, "I'm never lasting." Mm. And see if this ends up four <laughs> three. <laughs> it's not going to be good news. Um, but no, thankfully I got through it. Uh, I think we won the game four 0 um, and that's the that's the last competitive game I played at senior football. Now I played a wee bit after that at, at junior level, but um, yeah. There's no, there's no chance we sign the form though. That must be far scarier. <laughs> that must be far scarier than uh, taking on the manager's position in that sense, because you're going, look, they're never going to need me, but it's, it's, you know, it's fine. This will do. And then all of a sudden, you're on the pitch and you're going, here's a few of these fellas are quite quick. Uh, he was about 19, and I tell you what, he went by me like the wind, and I was like, Phew. yeah. Uh, let nature take its course in that one. Young legs, uh, hard to catch. Um, the other question people are asking, and I alluded to it as well. You know, there obviously will be changes with staff. Um, other appointments, have they been made in terms of your backroom staff yet or is that an ongoing process? It's an ongoing process. Um, obviously, it's, it's not uncommon to know that uh, the goalkeeping coach left, um, as did the kit man. Um, the physio has stayed on board. Um, the kit man, who was kind of deputising, has stayed on board. Um, I've added Neil Adair, the coaching staff, and um, I'm looking to add one more. Um, and once that's done, I will be, will be good to go. 
Okay, so you can watch this watch this space. Um, I imagine you're going out for a couple of coffees between now and Christmas, are you? No, maybe after Christmas. <laughs> maybe after Christmas. Um, let's let's talk your playing days then, shall we? Um, because we've been talking about management style. As a player, did you respond better to that tough manager that sort of gave you the 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 lay of the land, the tough love effect, or did you like an arm around the shoulder? I think I kind of responded to anything. I think I was so eager to play and so keen to play and, and, and thoroughly enjoyed my football that it wouldn't really matter. Um, I, I broke into the Bangor team when I was 19 and we had a really, really good uh, reserve team at that time. Um, David Chisholm was the manager and, and, and David would probably go down as one of the best coaches, managers I've ever played under and that was even from when I was 19. And he was stern. He was abrupt. Um... I'm into the senior ranks, it was with Nigel Best and Colin McCurdy. And you're not going to get much tougher than that. Yeah. So so I had a good grounding um, from those guys. And even being in the same change rooms with the Roddy Collins of this world and all, it was, yeah, they stood up where you, uh, you make or break. And it was simple, if you, if you couldn't deal with it, you wouldn't be there. So you kind of had to grow up with that. Um, I wasn't really one for the money cuddling and, John, you need, you're need you a good player. That wasn't me. I just went up and played and uh, tried my best every game. So, as I say, it was something that probably has become, was probably less in the game then um, when I when I was growing up to say, you know, you didn't have the coaches. The coaches just wanted you to win games and, and that was it. Would it be fair to say at that stage it's more a case of breaking into a team than being brought into a team? Yeah. Uh, and that's still the case, you know. I speak to the, the Super Cup guys when they're 17 years of age, and you try and explain to them that the next four years is probably the most important four years of your career. And a lot of them don't get that. A lot of the parents don't get that. And what you're trying to say to them is that transition from youth football to senior football is massive, and you need to be really, really patient. You need to understand that you're not just going to go in and play. You're not going to go in. You have to go through a process of maybe sitting in the bench, or maybe sitting in the stand, or maybe going training for six weeks and not kicking a ball. But that's a process that every single player playing Irish League football has had to go through at some point. Mm-hmm. You may get the lucky one that someone sticks their neck out and says, yeah, you can go and play there, go on and play. But they're very, very few and far between. How much of it's between your ears as a player at that age? How much of it's your mentality, your outlook, your maturity, and, and how much of it's your ability in terms of whether you're going to get that chance and, and whether you eventually make it? I think it's about 70%. Is your mental side of games, you know, your attitude, your will. To succeed, um, all the kids playing Irish League clubs at 16, 17, 18 years of age have all got ability, but it's not always the best ones that make it the Irish League or beyond. Um, it's the ones with the right attitude. It's the ones with the, the desire to actually go and play and and, and be patient. Um, you know, I was never the best footballer in my year group in school, never. Um, and I know a lot of players at my age group that were better than me, but for whatever reason. 18, 19, they just stop playing football. Um, and that's what happens every year. Um, so, you know, it, it is a mental thing, and it's whether parents influence that side of things, possibly, uh, probably, maybe. Um, but, yeah, young young boys breaking into the first team, they need to be very, very patient. And did you always have that laser focus that, that you wanted to be an Irish League footballer? Was it something, when you get a taste of it, you can't stop? I would never say I had the ambition to be an Irish League footballer. I just enjoyed playing football, and I think it was maybe fifteen when I went to Bangor. And moving from Port of Oga to Bangor was a a big a big thing back then. You know, it was, it was thirty five minutes to training and thirty five minutes back when I was fifteen years of age. And yeah. even doing that on a Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, it was tough going. Um, but then you got to to see the big world out there. You got to meet new people, um, and I probably just grasped that. You know, I, I grasped that, and I was fortunate to, to, to play in a really, really good reserve team that was successful. And again, you get a wee bit more of it. You win trophies and you think, yeah, I like this. And then you get to play on the big grounds and everything kind of rolls on and then you get to play with the big players and you start to go, this is... And it kind of evolves itself. It's not something you actually say, I'm going to be an Irish League footballer. It's something that you kind of work and it just continues to spiral and you get wee bits all the time and entices you to just want more. Um, you know, you come back to the days where you played Limavada United away in a Ulster Cup match and you were maybe playing football at 10 o'clock at night in Limavady. Well, Limavady's two and a half hours from yeah. Porto Vogue. <laughs> and then you were getting up at half six the next morning. If someone said to me I had to go to Limavady now and play football. <laughs> you know, but at that when, you, when you're growing up and you're 22, 23, 24, you were buzzing. You couldn't wait to do it the next week again. So, you know, uh, yeah, uh, very, very good. 
Because I know that's obviously something that's been a talking point this week in terms, Colin, of the uh, Irish Cup draw and in terms of clubs having to switch venues and stuff. And it's a, a point of contention that one ground's good enough for one team to play a, a home game in the Cup in and not good enough for another. And, and obviously it's something that affects our stroke banger in, in terms of that ground. Do you think that's something that's going to change? Should it change? It has to change. It doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, that was one of my "Where's your head at?" Today we're going to discuss that, but we'll do it now. But um, it's total madness that one club can play at a ground and the same ground the other club can't because they're a division lower. Um, it, I mean, I've had this dispute ongoing. I mean, I think we've talked about this before in the show as well. I can remember distillery were drawn at home to PSNI in the Irish Cup what two or three years ago. Now, with all due respect to PSNI, they have maybe you know couple of dozen supporters maximum we could easily have hold, hosted the game at the story we were told oh no you're a prime intermediate excited. you have to go and play your game in New Forge on a Wednesday afternoon at half one no, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever to be honest you know and there has to be common sense in some of these things now granted some of the grounds are not suitable for sort of big crowds and that's the thought I mean we've obviously got the situation where Queens are hosting Linfield I don't know how they're going to work that one because as you know from being a Queens you can all stand around the fence and not pay in just watch the match and yep through the fence to be honest so I don't know how that's going to work but that's a separate issue but certainly you know the whole idea of the domestic licence for me anyway is that if your ground's up to standard it can host a sort of a, an Irish League game you should be allowed to host an Irish League game on. You saying that I remember the first time I reported <coughs> on a Queen's game and it was a cup match it was Irish Cup game mm-hmm. and uh, I made the mistake of going inside the perimeter of fencing thinking I'd be in here somewhere to find out that no, my radio position was on that hill Right, okay. And I had not brought appropriate footwear, and it was an awful day, trust oh, me. Lovely. And I just slowly, uh, people are probably thinking, he's about a foot smaller now, just sinking into the mud. And people were standing beside me having a chat, and I'm like, this is just a very difficult day to do radio. And it's something against Queens. Everybody was lovely, nobody was abusive. It was a great game of football, actually. It was against Bangor. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have to say, in the Queen situation, it's a strange one. As you say, lovely people. It's a lovely facility, don't get me wrong. Yeah, no problems. You're only talking about a stand, only holds what? maybe 80 people maybe 100 maximum yeah. and you're asking Linfield to maybe bring maybe 1,000, 1,500 supporters no, I just don't know how it's going to work I really don't I would like to see that evaluate it and, and them to pick grounds that are of criteria and maybe not do it on what league they're in because there's a few anomalies which makes this whole thing complicated for them I guess you know in the IFA's defence someone probably tried to come up with a blanket rule that made life easier and then because it's the Irish League you go turns out one size does not fit all and we, we see examples of this and surely the fun is if a ground is able to hold it the fun is the big teams in inverted commas going away to the smaller grounds and the smaller and them getting that gate yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I know it sounds a bit crass to go straight to money, but how much does that mean for a team not in the top tier to have a big team come to bring that crowd up? That could be a huge boost for that club. Yeah. And it's a memorable experience for families making the journey maybe to Elimavati or somewhere like that. All of a sudden, you've got this brilliant big match day and you go, do you remember the time Linfield came to us? Do you remember? And I feel like you're kind of depriving people of those experiences by being as sort of, oh, well, sure, we'll, we'll make sure we prioritise the big teams and the big grounds. Doesn't happen anywhere else. I mean, in England, if you get an FA Cup down, Manchester United drawn away, Arsenal drawn away, you go and play it away. Mm-hmm. You, no, this, let's move it to the Emirates or let's move it to the Etihad or whatever happens to be. To be honest, it's, it's and that's the, that's the magic of the cup, as we often talk about, and it's just been been ruined over here. I think the IFA just need to really sort of think that out. I mean, the other issue I have with them personally, on a personal level, is that this year, obviously, sides in the Premier Intermediate League were all then pushed into the sort of the first round of the Irish Cup without any warning whatsoever. Previous years I said, well, you've got all your domestic licences, we'll put you into round two this year without any warning. The draw was made and you were back in round one, which was very, very frustrating, not only for all the clubs involved, but obviously the likes of Niffle, who weren't even advised that this was going to happen. So it was a little big kick up with that. So and done under what grounds? No reason at all. Just that January had a committee meeting and said, well, they're going to put them all back in and uh, let's draw it. I would suspect, and I'm not pointing any fingers, I would suspect some of the junior sides said, hold on, why should they get an advantage over us? And my argument is, we have fought and qualified for domestic licences. A lot of you guys haven't, so you know why shouldn't we have some sort of advantage? But there you go. If anyone from the Irish FA would like to comment <laughs> on that, we are on air for the next couple of hours. You can send us a message in, the score and I on Facebook and Twitter. You have absolutely the right to reply. Um, that's certainly something to look at. I would like to see this changed. Um, I wasn't going to bring it up this early in the programme, but it is something that, you know, let's, let's be honest, it's something that we should look at, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we always be striving to have exciting cup football, uh, fair opportunities for all the teams? And if your ground is capable, now quite clearly, if you have a ground that can't sit 100 people, it isn't really practical to expect... 
a club that has a thousand fans travelling to come to that game because there's all sorts of problems that poses then there's there's good cause for a change of venue but if you're able to facilitate it to a reasonable extent why shouldn't you get the benefit of that that big crowd coming to your ground why shouldn't you get a home advantage yeah. uh, you know I know teams like sometimes making the journey and if you've never played at Windsor Park before that's a big day for a player or at you know at the Oval or at Solitude or at CV wherever you want to go wherever you aspire to play at that's fine to not have that, I, I sometimes feel a wee bit sorry for those for those clubs and players where they don't get to, to have the experience of hosting it and, and giving them a chance of progressing. Get the big team further on. Get yourself through a few rounds first, John. What do you think? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, Ooh. obviously, odds have, have come out of it favourably this year. And you know, but to be honest, it doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't make sense if Bangor's drawn at home. It's not suitable for Bangor to play, but yet it's okay for ours. It's ludicrous for me. Um, obviously we benefit from it in terms of our home tie now. Um, but no, I, I'm I'm with using this. I, I think that if you're drawn, if you're if you're good enough to enter the Irish Cup, then your ground must be good enough to play on. So, you know, I, I know that Colin said about you know if it's Portavogie playing Linfield, that's up to Portavogie to to do whatever they need to do for that day to house that crowd, uh, and that'll cost them money, but they'll reap the reward from the crowd that attends. But they got to look after that the right way and and do things the right way and. That's what they look for. That's why teams enter the Irish Cup. They they want the big draw. They want to play at home. They don't want to. Yes, they love playing at Windsor Park and everything's a big day. But they much prefer to play at home in front of a massive crowd with their mates and you know kick a few people probably. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know that's as you said the FA Cup. You have to travel. Um, I know Bangor will feel very aggrieved that they have to because as I say, it doesn't make no sense. And in, in terms of grounds, John, obviously I know you're a ground chairman of Bangor. There must sort of be a restriction in terms of the growth of or the rebirth of arts not having their own ground. Yeah, you know, I looked at it in the, the fan base at the, the start of the programme and, uh, you know, you can see slowly but surely that just the, the numbers are dwindling. Yeah. Um, you know, you can argue the, the style of football, the results, everything will contribute to that. Um, and, and people will say, well, Bangor's only across the carriageway. Um, but I, I know from playing at Ards that the crowds that we played in front of... Um, 15, 20 years ago, um, were massive, um, yeah. and I know they had that. We they had the luxury that London Dairy Park was across the road, and they'd have probably pulled in an extra hundred people um, from junior football straight yeah. after their yeah. game and to watch the second half. So you, your crowd always swelled the second half. Um, but yeah, without you're a not doubt, saying Irish people are to want to pay. In, is that what <laughs> you're saying? <laughs> no, the, but you know the, the guys who were playing football had a genuine interest. You know, yeah. Rather than going home. That I walked across the road and then watched the second half of an Irish league game. Yeah, um, I can remember many's a great game at Castlereagh right Park. Yeah, and and the Whites over the years. I, I think it's, it's sad, sad that they don't. Yeah, they don't have their own ground, and uh, it's something probably off the off the pitch that, that they have to work extremely hard for. Uh, a lot of Ards fans listening, I'm sure, will be having similar memories, flashbacks to Castlereagh right Park. Have you a favourite moment from that ground throughout your career? That's uh, probably a hard question, but I'll, I'll throw it at you anyway. Um. Probably the, the the one the one that stands in my head um, is the one where we play. I think it was Armagh City. The ground was I don't know whether it had been sold or it was closed for a period of time. And I know that there was a I think it was in the round of the year the foot and mouth it was a foot and mouth or oh yeah, yeah. there was a, a breakdown in the league and I think that helped us win the league that year because say we were going through a wee rocky patch and the games were postponed for three or four weeks and it allowed us to regroup under Trevor Anderson and I know at that time there was a lot of work done in and around the pitch to get up um, but that stage the railings and all have been down have become a wee bit haggard but the pitch they got the pitch yeah. back in the playing order and we played Armagh City and it was an early kick off and it was just so good to be back um, you know you were back playing in your hometown and in front of your home supporters uh, and I think that was a memory that kind of stuck um, and then obviously the last one the last game that was played there you know, the Glen stumped us 4-0 um, and it was covered in snow I still think Adrian McCourt um, no idea why he played it, but he played it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember from that game, I remember playing left back and Trevor Anderson said to me, John, Tim McCann's playing. He says, just show him inside, he's no left foot. I showed him inside after five minutes, he whacked one in the top corner and just looked at him and went, what do you do? <laughs> um, Tim so could fairly move a football. He could, he couldn't do either foot too. Yeah, <laughs> as you find out to yeah. your detriment. Uh, John Bailey, our special guest in the programme. Uh, we'll take a wee break from our chat to do this.
Yes, it's time for Where's Your Head At, the part of the programme where we look at the weird and wonderful things that have gone on in the world in the last week or so, and if we can't figure them out, well, then we just make fun of them. What else would you do? Uh, Colin Hopkins, where would you like to start? One uh, item nothing to do with football. This is to do with Major League Baseball in America. Uh, they have decided over the last few days that they're going to remove marijuana uh, from the list of banned substances. So I'm just thinking that could be a bit bizarre. Imagine a player, you know, entering the field of play completely high as a kite, and there's marijuana. Can't be found any anything wrong with it. They're allowed to prepare to let that happen. I can't imagine that happening in the Irish League. Do you? No, uh, that is, it's a it's an interesting decision. Um, probably the complexity around that is because of drug laws being different in different states and they're probably thinking well if in this state this drug is legal how can we ban the players from using it uh that's a it's a wonderful problem to have uh i, I might start watching the sport a bit more <laughs> well, that'd be interesting, you know. <laughs> These lads are under no pressure whatsoever. <laughs> uh, it's an interesting one. Uh, this isn't sport either, but it made me laugh. And it, it, um, I don't know why anybody knows they have this ability, but there was a great news story. Great. Uh, I don't know if it's great, actually, but it was in the mirror. Uh, and the headline reads, get ready for this, Man whose farts can kill mosquitoes six metres away has been hired to create repellent. Okay. Now, let's break that down, right? Somebody has figured out that uh, when they pass wind they can kill mosquitoes at long distance that's got you hate to be married to them first of all Uh, so (laughs) so they have now literally got a job where someone's going to experiment on them and try and use this can you imagine imagine you're on a lovely family holiday and you're thinking oh we've got that new repellent it's meant to be really good six meters away there's drop dead around us no bites smell of someone's behind though i mean who's going to buy this this seems a bit ridiculous Mm, well, I wouldn't have bad. <laughs> no. Be probably high, so it stink for months on end. Probably, yeah. Honest, you know. Yeah. Uh, if you have a similar problem, text us. No, please don't. Uh, but I just don't understand how the skill comes up. But that was in the news, and I think it's a, it's definitely a where's your head at. Yeah, we'll put it in there. Put it in the end of the box. Uh, what else goes in there this week? Uh, you and I obviously attended a bit of a BBC Sport and I get together every week now you be careful I'm careful of what I have to say here you be careful I did notice that there was a little this isn't in the running order I did notice there was a little tweet went out that day which was obviously the day of the Irish Cup draw okay and they've tweeted to say um, Holders Crusaders will face Dundella official blah blah in the fifth round of the Irish Cup mm-hmm. also Corey and the FC will host Corey and the FC in, in the only old <laughs> premiership tie so I'm not sure that was tweeted after the night out or before or somebody was still recovering I don't know <laughs> these Coleraine's guaranteed yeah. to play us the next round I couldn't comment on anything that happened in that night, night <laughs> but uh, all I could say is there was a few stories the day after mm. um, is Man United beating Man City uh, where's your head at? Because it comes off the back of the win against Spurs, and this is Solskjaer, who's not meant to be very good, and Man United, who aren't meant to be very good, and yet he's beaten two of the world's best managers back to back. I wish I was that crap. Mm. It's interesting, Strange, isn't it? He seems to be slipping up all over the side against the smaller sides, but bigger sides, I think their record against the top six has been very, very impressive mm. this season. I know we haven't got any points off them yet, but uh, okay, only played them twice, once in the League Cup, but certainly it's. Uh, what about your side Chelsea I was personally loving Duncan Ferguson everything about him the emotion I mean he he looked he didn't really behave like a typical manager but I really liked that he just looked like an Everton fan that got the job for the day yeah. and I think everybody just wanted to give him a big hug because he was tearing up at the end he was big dunk was loving it after a minute, I'm a bit of a fan of Duncan Ferguson. I like his, his approach to the game. His, his real passion, to be honest, you say, run down the touchline. It's going to, just like John's going to do in ours. Beat Dundella <laughs> tomorrow, probably. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, deny problem that. I had a big problem with the result. Is that how Chelsea can go to Everton and lose? I don't know, but that's the inconsistency we're facing at this moment in time. But. Tell you what, ball boys are getting some amount of hugs this weather, aren't they, manager? Mm. Remember, ball boys used to... Just collect the balls and now every seems to be every goal give them a high five a cuddle you know what's what's going on now it's very popular now mm. want to win over some fans quickly grab a ball boy like and be careful don't break one but like big for, I just saw him grab him I thought well why not but it, uh, I, I listened to that game on the radio I was on my way to a match and I thought do you know what you could just hear the excitement in the ground and Everton have needed a lift so uh, he might not be there long term but uh, short term he's doing alright short term so far so good unbeaten what else goes in there this week for you? 
Well, obviously coming up to the Christmas break, so to speak, and obviously Christmas crackers are coming on the go. I've seen somebody's done a little tweet featuring uh, actual song titles, which include jokes in them, so I'll give you an example of one. Okay. There's a few here. I feel like we're about to go into like a realm of dad jokes, <laughs> so brace yourself. Here we go. My girlfriend asked me to stop singing Wonderwall. I said maybe. <laughs> Right, that's the that's, that's the, the bar. That's the bar. That's the okay, bar. Okay, right, okay. My wife took me to a karaoke bar where they had no disco songs. At first, I was afraid. I was petrified. <laughs> I imagine you were really enjoying these last was, night when you were. La- pro- <laughs> I was laughing these through. I thought they were very good. These are, but do you know? Do you ever? I don't know whether it's like the cheap crackers. Do you ever like you you, crack, you pull them open and then the thing just gives you like a fact or something? You go, what? Uh, you do want a bad joke in them? Something you that you can share around the table. But why? Maybe I don't know. Why do they give you like combs, like miniature combs? <laughs> like That's how, true. What are you meant to do? Who, who well, in my case, it might be all right, but mm. other people's cases maybe not so good. To be honest, you know. But uh, do you want another one of these? Yeah. Okay. Why okay. not? Yeah. Okay. I remember after one gig, Noel Gallagher invented this. All back to his place for a bowl of soup. You got to roll with it. <laughs> right. Enough. No well, more. <laughs> no enough. That's out of the way. We've hit. What's that clang? Rock bottom. There it is. Um, I want to throw in. Last night, uh, I, I was uh, working down south. It was torrential rain. I mean, it was pouring down. You thought I was going for the other P there. It was pouring down, and uh, I was driving Fingless Road in Dublin, right? And uh, I looked, and in the the oncoming traffic, and I, I, I swear there were no substances involved in this story, was Santa Claus. A horse and cart and some sort of like globe thing with a wee family in the back. I thought, what okay. a miserable night to do that. But it is the strangest thing when you're driving late at night and Santa just drives past you. No, I, I genuinely thought I need to pull over. I've been the sleeping. Marijuana, no, no, excuse me, definitely not. But I thought, what is this? It's a very surreal experience. Maybe he was uh, mapping out his route ahead of Christmas, but um, there you are. Have you ever been overtaken or, or passed by Santa on a road? Uh, no. Yeah, there you so go. One, one nil to me. Anything else to fire in there before we uh, tie a little ribbon around this since it's uh, heading Christmas? One time? final joke, but this has got nothing to do with the previous ones. <laughs> this is an Irish League joke. Okay. Is it true that Joel Cooper was ejected out of the polling station in Belfast for failing to put a cross in the box? <laughs> I thought that was quite good. What, what's Joel Cooper done to deserve that? I don't know. That's Joel, a Joel, Joel, joke. Joel, you're welcome on this program anytime. <laughs> I do not stand over that joke. I am offended by that joke. Snowflake. Snowflake. <laughs> Joel's all right. They definitely wouldn't be making that joke about Kirk Miller. He, he gets it in every time, doesn't mm, he? Great, there you go. Great delivery of the ball. Um, even if because he was a he was a player that for a period of time Linfield fans didn't seem to appreciate, and yet he's got one of the best crosses in the league. I always thought it was a strange one, but. Maybe he's finally getting the praise. Maybe Marshall Gillespie's stats are finally helping Kirk Miller's <laughs> PR. But uh, there we go. Anything else to fire in? Have we done them all? I think I'm done. That was uh, some interesting ones in there, folks. You remember those at Christmas and you said it was Colin Hopkins that told me this one. I don't want any responsibility. Was where is your head at? John wasn't ready for that at all. Um, John, I noticed you were uh, enjoying those jokes thoroughly. Yeah, um, <laughs> they had, had me in stitches there, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to tell all the players in the change rooms tomorrow oh, before the game. Lads, I've got a great joke here for you. <laughs> it's <laughs> just the flicks. If flicks could tell a story, the, these ones really did. It just, I wish this was TV for a wee minute, not radio. Uh, let's get back to football. Uh, thank goodness, says John. Um, looking through your career, we obviously talked about a couple of moments from uh, Castle Ray Park that, that stood out for you throughout your career. Uh, what are the moments that you kind of you go back to and you reflect on as, as highlights? Because you've shared the pitch with some fantastic players in your team and against you. I think it's the moments like that, as you say, the players you played with, the players you played against, um, the stages you played on. Um, you know, I think it was maybe 19 years of age and working back to the days where the Irish League clubs played Scottish clubs and English clubs in pre-season and we played Dundee um, and I remember Morgan this guy was 6 foot 4 didn't speak English I didn't know who he was um, but two weeks later he signed for Celtic for a million quid Morton Vakehurst oh wow um, you know and it's only when you reflect and understand 
Um, you can say you played against them players. Um, he had no idea who I was, and I had no idea who he was at the time. But you know, he he started his career. At well, obviously not Dundee, but he played for Dundee for a period and played against Bangor and Bangor. Um, so it's occasions like that there you look back on, and I remember playing under Nigel Best in the Charity Shield for Bangor. So it must have been. I think it was the year after they lost the Irish Cup final to Linfield. Um, they played Linfield in the, the Charity Shield at Windsor. I remember Nigel Best bringing me in the squad and I went along thinking, you know, I'll be subbed, maybe get five minutes if I'm lucky. I played the full game. And I remember coming in after the game, soaked with sweat, really, really warm. I think I touched the ball three times. You know, that was where your Peebles and your Fenlands and Desi Gorman um, running around the pitch. And I remember thinking that night, going, flip, I'm never (laughs) going to be able to play in this level of football because, you know, it was frightening what they'd done. Um, And Trevor Anderson, who managed them at that time, you know, Trevor bought a house. Um, across the road from me, um, <laughs> really, really strangely, because I say Portavogie is a long way away from even where Trevor's from, yeah. and this car kept arriving. And one night I, I drove up, and this window went down, and he said, "All right, kid." I says, "Trevor, why are you here?" <laughs> so his sister moved over from England, and I bought the house beside it, and I didn't know. Wow. I didn't put the the, the relation together, and the odd time I would have seen Trevor down around the house, and he had the Linfield tracksuit from nineteen ninety, whatever that was, and he always went. That was the team. That was the team. I always like to remind you that that was... And, and the work, to be fair, they were a very, very good side. Um, so, yeah, you know, you look back with fond memories and even the people you meet, you know, you go to Northern Ireland games and even go down the street, do some shopping, you bump into somebody you maybe haven't seen for 10, 15 years um, and you stop and you have a conversation and, and that's through football and that's through the people you've grown up with and people you've played against, maybe kicked, maybe they've kicked you and... You know, you talked about a football family earlier on, and you know that—that's what it is. You know, you learn to like people, and you, you might dislike them at a time on a, on a football pitch, but you know, you shake hands, and you know, you, you become best of friends, and it's—it's it's very, very, very satisfying when you think back on your career and what you've learned and developed over that. Yeah, and it, and it's incredible, and it's it's something that if you haven't been in the Irish league in some form or another. I know it could sound a bit like, oh yeah, sure, that's nice, but it's a it's a very tangible thing in that if you're lucky enough, it can last the rest of your life. The not just the memories, but the the friendships, and as you say, you'd be standing in the street and you might be out doing your shopping. Next thing, you bump into someone and you're you're back down memory lane. Yeah, very much so. Um, I think the one thing that I, I tried to impress from where I'm from, you know, we live in the sticks, um, and a lot of younger people will stay in the round where, where they're from um, and they're not, not afraid but they can't be bothered with the journey they can't be bothered with the travelling and it's trying to show them that there's a big bad world but a rewarding world and there is things out there that you only see half of where you live but if you get out of there and among it you know you are more than capable you can succeed and if you can do that you know the words are oyster really I mean, there's a there's a wee if you read between the lines there, you know, you were saying being a Portavogie boy going to Bangor was kind of like, whoa, I'm going to Bangor, and in the grand scheme of all the flights that are available today, should anyone go online, you know? But that shows you that the sort of mentality of you grow up, it's what you're used to. You're you staying around your own. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> even now, for me to go to Belfast from Portavogie, I need to get two buses, and that's you know, that's scary stuff, you know, for some people. Um, everywhere I travel, it's at least an hour an hour and a half and maybe two hours sometimes and as you say but you get used to it and I think the young, the younger you do that the easier the transition is and it makes it easier if you, if you are lucky enough to get the opportunities to play Irish League well it becomes second nature to you and I think the the reward you get from that outweighs the the difficulties you might encounter. I promised the powers of be I wouldn't do any politics today but it's a wonderful antidote to the world we're in if you go outside where you're from and meet more people and make more friends from different places it uh, gives you a nice perspective on life. It does, yeah. You, you meet people from different religions, um, people from different communities, people from different areas of the country. Um, and a lot of people will say to me, how do you know such and such? And how do you know such and such? And it's through football. It's as simple as that. You know, even go back to your schoolboy days, you remember people, you, you know the names, you know the faces. Irish League days is the same. You know, people you've played with, played, played against. Um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to play with some really, really good players at Ards and you know, there was a period where Trevor Anderson was a manager and he brought the likes of Desi Gorman and Gary Peebles in that two yards. And yes, it was maybe at the end of their careers, but to share a picture of them guys and to get to, to see behind the scenes how they conducted themselves and how they prepared for games and everything else, you were learning and you were so eager and so keen and you were you were looking in awe at these players, and but you aspired to be them. Um, yeah. And I think that's the bit that kind of drove me on anyway as a player. 
Um, I have to ask you about Super Cup NI, formerly Milk Cup, because I just think it's incredible that any manager can pull a team of players from all over the place together in such a short space of time and turn them into a good outfit that can compete. I mean, how on earth do you manage that? Because it can't be easy. No, um, you need a big bit of luck, to, to be honest. And, you know, I think anybody will tell you that. I think over the years, the county county teams, not just County Down, but the, all the county teams have kind of raised the raised the bar a wee bit in terms of the preparation. I think we've we've learned that um, there's certain aspects that everybody wants to go there and, and play lovely football and all, but sometimes if you do that, you might be easily rolled over. Um, I think we've learned uh, as counties to, you know, stand up and, you know, give as good as we get because, you know, our kids, our young players are as good as what's coming over to play us. Um, there's also the element of the teams that are coming across might be that wee bit younger than maybe they were 10 years ago. Um, so there's no hiding away from that. But, you know, so some of the young teams are up against really, really top-class sides. Um, and a lot of people in Northern Ireland don't understand it. Maybe have no connection with the Milk Cup or Super Cup. Um, they don't understand that. Um, but when you try and explain, uh, put it into the odd scenario, um, if Ards play Linfield tomorrow, Linfield's going to have a hell of a lot of the ball. That's a Milk Cup scenario for me. Um, because nine times out of ten you play opposition and we know they're going to have the ball. So I think we've been able to prepare better um, for the tournaments. Um, we have a wee bit more knowledge about what we're coming up against. Um, and yeah, you know, I think all the counties have been very, very competitive. Um, That's been such a great thing to see, but it also uh, does speak to the level of talent there is in Northern Ireland. Does it surprise you um, how much talent's out there? Because obviously you whittle them down to, to come up with your final squad. Does it surprise you? Because I think you know the average person probably looking at the Irish League is going, there seems to be even more young players coming through now. Uh, whether it's there's more coverage, so you're starting to hear more about those names, or whether more is being done to try and do it. Uh, you can, you're a better place to answer that than I am. But from your perspective, which of the two is closer to the truth? I think clubs, you know, I think all clubs are kind of buying into the idea now that if you're young enough and good enough, well, why not? Um, it's obviously a, a more financially rewarding for for a club to to maybe nurture young young boys through. Um, and, I, and I had an interview with a paper maybe three or four years ago, and I remember saying, "There's 168 teams, 108, 108 players maybe go to a milk cup or super cup every year representing the counties in Northern Ireland at 17 years of age." Now. They're all going to be good footballers. We talked about ability earlier on. They're all going to have a, a decent level of ability. But where do they all go? And that's the question I ask, you know, because... And you try and educate the parents and you, you say, your child can go and play Irish League providing they get through the next three to four years unscathed. But drink, drugs, girlfriends, some become parents. Other things come into their lives and they just disappear. And it's... There's that gap between youth level and senior level that I still think don't think we've got it right, but I think we've got better at it because it says testament now that the more clubs are showing more interest, are giving more younger players the opportunity. But those younger players, to be fair now, are rewarding their clubs because very very few of them are letting their clubs down. You know, Josh Kelly, um, I know he played for ours last year, a young lad um, from Cumber, and um, scored a really really good goal Great for, for David, Bellamy, you yeah. know, last week, and it's good to see um, because the more that happens the more the managers are going to have the trust to, to throw them in. And you're right, you know, for the players that don't make it or for the players that slip away, you always want to try and put more in place for them. It's a, it's a big question for football in general. How do you how do you help that transition? How do you put things in place where maybe it's easier to identify those talents where, OK, they don't make it at Club A, but Club B might be able to, to access that player where they just don't have the scouting to realise Hold on, there's there's three or four fellas here, 17 years of age now. That actually, there's a bit of raw talent there if we could harness it and and find room for them somewhere else in the league. When you're doing that uh, setup with the county down team, I'm sure players you know are, are getting approached by scouts. Certainly at that tournament, clubs from across the water are looking at them, um, and and it's a great experience for them. Do you think it's better for them to get a grounding in the Irish League at some level before they go across the water? You know, you see like the Gavin White example, or is that call just too too hard to say no to? I think it's hard. It's a difficult one to call, you know, what's right and what's wrong. I think you need to take your own opportunities. You know, Gavin's obviously come through the Irish League scenario and 
if you maybe look back, maybe when Gavin was 16, he wasn't the best player at his age, but he's persevered and he's obviously improved his game and done very, very well. And he took his opportunity at Crusaders and there's that avenue you can do. You know, you can through that avenue and work hard at your game here. You know, so if you don't go across the water, it's not the end of the world. Other kids go across and it's a very, very difficult world out there. You know, Gavin's went, as has Mark Sykes has went, but they've been men. They went when they're men. You know, they've, they've had that grounding and... It's a different scenario when when a club from England sign you at sixteen years of age, you're a youth player, but when they come when you're nineteen twenty, you're not going as a youth player, and I think you're at an advantage if you go through the Irish League route. Um, so I think if you can come in and, and do reasonably well, Irish League at nineteen twenty, people will take more of a notice on off you now. Um, and it's funny, probably the players that have come through that scenario, probably were never scouted when they were fourteen, fifteen. So it just shows you how how young players develop as well and they develop at different rates and it's not always the best players that excel. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating story. Mindful because of your your background then, are you someone that's gonna be not afraid also to give young players a chance if you think they're the best players for arts? Yeah, I think so. I think you have to. Um you know, I was nineteen when I was was given an opportunity. I'm not saying I was the best player in the world, but you know, I took the opportunity. Um and you try and impress some players that, you know, here's your opportunity, you grab it. But you also have to be mindful that they're not going to play well every week. I think that's the key. Um, some clubs are maybe a little, bo- a little bit more blessed to do that than others because obviously the pressure of management and the pressure of delivering trophies and maybe relegation and things like that there come into it because if you're mid-table and you've nothing to play for and no real pressure, well, it's easy to give younger players the opportunity. Um, but yeah, you know... There's a lot of young talent about, um, and for ours it's probably critical due to finances that we identify some good young players and, and give them that opportunity because on the flip side, from a manager and being selfish, if I can spot three or four young boys and give them the opportunity to do well and they progress, well, I would hope to have those three or four players with me for a long time. Yeah, yeah. obviously you used team at ours is doing pretty well, don't you? I've just come to the league table there. The under-18s are sitting fourth in the academy league. It's, it's, it's been a good development, that academy league for Neville. Yeah, and, and, and I say ours under 18s and ours under 20s have done reasonably well. I think the move the 20s are sitting second. Um, That's right. And as I say, it's a hard one to call because, you know, the 20s and the 18s isn't about winning games. You know, as competitive as I am, and when I spent four years at Linfield under, under 19s, it's, you know, you try and impress on them the importance of winning because you want them to come into a first-team squad as a winner. Um, but yeah, but both 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 groups are doing reasonably well in their their leagues, and so that tells you enough to say that there there are players there, um, and it's just about me getting to know them those players and integrating them into the, the senior setup. That's a a very important point about it's not all about winning in that sense. You know, at the younger age groups, how hard is that to implement on teams? Because uh, you know, Linfield, their entire history, their ethos is win, win, win. But coaches, managers need to develop the talent. They do. Um, as I said, I was lucky enough to spend four years at Linfield. And whilst you were never told you were under that pressure to win trophies, you felt it. And, and maybe that came from the first team um, because they were winning every year. And you felt to be part of that club, you needed to deliver. Um, and you're trying to impress on the kids, I'm, I'm going to develop you, but part of your development is winning. And you need to understand that you have to accept sometimes you're going to be second best and you have to accept why you lost and, and reflect on why you lost and understand and accept. You know, you're not given a divine right to win football matches every week. Um, so you, you were trying to instill that in them. Um, when, when you're at so-called lesser clubs, you are predominantly developing your players. Um, and it's very, very difficult for a coach because every coach is in the game because... They're competitive. You want to be competitive. You want to win games, um, and you want to do as best you can because the, the better you are as a club, and the better you're doing, the better players you attract. Um, so you know, winning creates that atmosphere and that environment where you're creating a monster, really. Um, and it's hard to, as a coach, it's hard to kind of to manage that. You, you definitely want to be able to get a team to the level of, like you said, when you were up against the Desi Gormans of the world going, how do I get a kick today? They, you know, it's that you're almost, if you can create a team that they almost win the mental battle before a ball is kicked, you're in such an advantage. You are. You know, we, we talked about, you know, Ards, we're, we're sitting in sixth position at the moment. Um, I referred to Carrick last year where we went on a run. Um, we talked about momentum last year. 
I remember as way back when I was 19, I think the Bangor Reserve team we played in, I think we won something 65 games on the trot, or we didn't lose in 65 games. And I remember playing games in the Reserve League then, that were playing teams and they were throwing seven and eight first, first team players out simply to try and beat us. And we were turning up and we were maybe losing 3 0 at half time, we won the game 4 3. It just gave you that level of confidence. You just turned. Up. You weren't even thinking about the game. You just knew you were going to win. And when you build that, it's frightening what you do. You know, I think we won the Steel Cup. We won two George Wilsons. We won the B Division. It was B Division then, and that was unheard of because it was Linfield and Glentorne won it every year. And just that sense of confidence. You know, you just took the feeling. You felt like you were ten foot tall. You were better than everybody else. And it didn't matter what team you played. So it's, it's trying to understand and, and get that into that mentality into the people. But at the same time, you have to understand why why you lose football matches at times too, and accept that somebody's been better than you in the day. And you know, it's a, a good time to mention because uh, the point of character Rangers Niall Curry, the job he's been doing. Obviously, it's a it's a very sad week for the club this week. But the job Niall has been doing with Carrick, I mean, it's it's incredible. I don't think even Niall could believe that it would have gone as well as it has. They've done phenomenally well, you know, but they have, to be fair now, they've built a, a decent squad. Um, I, th- I think they've got pace all around the pitch now, um, and teams are wary of them. Now, whether that makes it harder for now and, and Carrick in the second half of the season um, will remain to be seen, but as I say, teams are going to be aware now what Carrick possess because they haven't lost games, they're scoring goals, um, they're winning games now, and, they're, and people are starting to maybe set up now and take notice. So I'm not saying teams are not giving them the attention that they need, but they might find now they might get a wee bit more attention. Um, but yeah, you know, now will be will be delighted with the start they've made, and you know he's probably already um, kept them out of the relegation area. So you know that they'll be pleased and uh, they'll look to kick on the new year, no doubt. Nilo, no doubt, be telling me they're still stuck in that relegation battle. <laughs> Never were told it's over. Uh, just finally, John, it's been brilliant having you here with us today. Um, you know, you've been realistic about this season, the challenges ahead and, and the short-term goals. If we're to say two or three years down the line and fingers crossed, all's going well for you, where do you hope odds to be? Where where do you see things? I think the aim has to be back in the Premier League. You know, I think um, if I can go in and do a, a decent job between now and the end of the season and, and hopefully get uh, an extension to next year, um, I think there'll be a bit more pressure on me. Um, again, we call a spade a spade. Uh, there will be that bit more expectation. Can you deliver and get us into the Premier League? Um, so that has to be the aim. And I would say it's a, it's a shorter aim than a longer term aim. Um, obviously, would like to be back playing in Yards, but as I say, that's outside the, my control or maybe some of the club's control. Um, so yeah, you know, we we need to put the the building blocks in place and and make sure that we're we're ready to go back up and when we go back up, be in a position that Carrick are in that they add three or four players and you can compete. Well, just picking up on that, sorry then. Um, you know, you're six months now. You're saying it's probably not going to be able to get into the the top flight this season. So what is the what's the target they've set you? How are they going to assess you? Because it's not realistic for you to go and win the league from this point. If you do that, I think a few clubs other than ours will come after you. <laughs> that that remains to be seen. Um, you know, I think there has to be some sort of stability, and as I said that in the interview, there has to be some sort of stability before we can move forward. Um, there's been you know quite a bit of upheaval on the players and even you know the, the management teams and that. So the clubs went through a wee transition over the last five or six weeks and, and it's been difficult, I'm sure, um, because I know it's like as, as managers move and I think Warren left very, very quickly in, in terms of the approach from Bulgaria and everything else. Um, so, you know, I think the board will be patient enough this year. Um, obviously, they'll be looking to see some sort of improvement. They'll probably be wanting to see what sort of impact they make in the window. Um, and what impact they can make on the squad that there is at the pr- at the present time, um, and then they'll make a decision probably towards the end of the season to see has that been enough to kind of dangle a carrot. Well, I know before one of the big games recently, their Solskjaer brought Roy Keane into the dressing room to do a rising talk. If you need to borrow Colin for a few jokes just to lighten the mood, <laughs> you can have him, John. Honestly, we can arrange that. Full time, full time, get him in. <laughs> just where you do go, I know you have to go for very careful what you say here. Brian Adams is a chairman. How good is he? I've known Brian a long time. Um, he's a good lad. He's been very, very straight with me. Um, now I think he's tied up with a lot of business with Niffle, etc. at the minute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, Brian will give me a support. And as I say, when, when I was at ours before with Niall, um, Brian was nothing but supportive. 
Um, so I, I don't see any reason why that would change. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Wouldn't you love them to go? He's awful. I hate him. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. But no, obviously. Uh, Sacked after two days. <laughs> yeah. uh, friend of the show, Brian Adams, and he knows I'm only joking. I think I can get away with that one. John is uh, obviously being sincere. I'm the one being mischievous. Uh, John, thanks very much for coming on to the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Score NI podcast with me, Michael Clark. We're back live with the whole show on Lisburn's 98FM and Bangor FM on Friday from 1pm. Or you can subscribe to our podcast today to listen back to the first hour each week at your convenience. And in the meantime, keep in touch via our Facebook and Twitter feeds. We hope you can join us for the next episode.